Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Today's guest is Toronto-born and raised of Filipino descent, multidisciplinary artist Diana Reyes, also known as Fly Lady Die. I can relate to that because, of course, I wanted to also be a fly girl, and I was often called Lady Die. <laughs> Anyways, Fly Lady Die has been rocking stages for over a decade through dance, DJing, and visual art. Voted Outstanding Performance and Outstanding Design by Now Magazine, her one-woman dance creation, Third World, presented by Summerworks, sold out a three-show run. As a DJ, she's played events for Dior at TIFF, the Toronto Maple Leafs, Twitter, Reebok, Rihanna's Fenty Beauty, Soho House, AGO, and Funkbox New York City. Diana has danced with artists like Jason Derulo, Sierra, Fallout Boy, Fabulous, Luther Brown, and was in the movie Honey. She's also had artistic engagements internationally in places like South Korea, the Philippines, United Arab Emirates, New York, Los Angeles, Colombia, Germany, Scotland, and India. Wow, that's a lot of world traveling. So I enjoyed my conversation with her, and I hope you do too. For links and a transcript, be sure to visit singdanceactthrive.com slash 038. I related to you right away because you have many job titles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dancer, painter, DJ, mm -hmm. actor, comedian? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I see yeah. Did I say a comedian? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm starting to do some stand-up, but it, it all kind of relates to this show that I'm working on. So all of that is to support my one-woman show. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm multi-passionate as well. Mm -hmm. um, and do you find that people think you're crazy because you're trying to do so many different things? Uh, yes, I think, well, sometimes like people tell me, oh, that's great, that, that's cool that you do so many things. Um, and, and I think I can hear their thoughts thinking like, why doesn't she just do like one thing? And then it's like, yeah. it's also like my own thoughts as well of like, you should just stick to one thing. And um, yeah. but I kind of look, I look to my friend, Amanda Seals, who now has, she's gotten a million followers on Instagram and she's become very famous. Um, and she's a multi, 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 multi hyphenate. And she's kind of like my testament to the fact that like, you can still do a million different things. And successful even matter <laughs> yeah hopefully like more and more people are embracing it because i know for a while it was the advice of okay you're never going to make it if you're going in a million different directions mm -hmm. you have to pick one ditch the others and i always hated that <laughs> me too i i love it all but i have learned to focus 
a little bit better and maybe put some things on hold. Mm-hmm. That way it's not, you're getting, you're not giving it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? You're putting on a hold and focusing on the priority. Um, but yeah, it's still a few things. <laughs> no, I, I hear that. And I kind of like, like in the way I am now to what I was like in high school, because I was doing a million different things. Then I was on the, um, like the art committee and I was in the fashion show. I was like lunchtime DJ and I still got straight A's. So I kind of, I'm kind of like, I haven't really changed. And if I can, if I could do that in high school, then I can do that in my adult life. Instead of straight A's, it'd be like Dallas. <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So what was your childhood like when it comes to creativity? What first inspired you to want to dance or any, what, what was first? Um, Which of your creative endeavors? So my dad was, um, he used to be an artist. He was a graphic designer. And then when I was like really small, he used to go to night school to take interior design. So he had all these like um, little figurines of like couches and like a whole like uh, furniture setup that he would paint. And then I would look, oh, cool. yeah. And then I would like watch him mix watercolor and I'd be so fascinated. Be like, whoa, what is that? And I was just so drawn to it. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. That's what I'm going to do. So immediately I just picked up a crayon and started drawing and sh- like showing him for his approval. And then like, you, you need to add clouds, like go and add clouds. And then, so that was kind of my first love ever because it was something that I saw my dad doing and doing well. And like, I was just fascinated by the color names like cadmium yellow and like titanium white and just, you know, staring at all the little things like the brushes and the colors and, it's, it was like a little like form of magic or like science. So I was really oh, fascinated cool. by that. Yeah. And then um, I was extremely shy as a kid. I was really like quiet and I never liked to talk to anyone. I, I would spend like maybe like a couple days not talking. <laughs> and so whenever my parents brought me around to like family parties, I would like pick a corner and suck my thumb and just sit there until the food was ready. And then I would eat a lot. It was very... Um, had a like really big appetite as a kid and they so my cousins make fun of me because I was like I wasn't skinny I was like kind of chubby so and I was the, also the youngest cousin so they used to love to pick on me and because of that I was just really quiet and shy because I I knew I was a target for bullying like from a, a very young age yeah. um but then whenever music came on something it sparked something in me and I would just start dancing and people went crazy like so whenever Michael Jackson came on, they'd yell like, where's Diana? Where's Diana? You have to get her. She has to dance. And so as soon as that happened, they would pull me and they would put me in the middle and I'd, I'd just go off. I'd start dancing and they would scream and yell and like laugh and cheer. And like, I knew that was my only language was dance and my like connection to music. And like, at, at that point I came alive. Like I didn't really care. Everything else had gone away. Like all my like insecurities and the bullying. I, like it was like a, like a magical power that I had and then when the oh, music stopped cool. I would go back and suck my thumb and eat cake <laughs> so you weren't you weren't shy when you performed and danced that was the only time that I didn't care about what anyone thought of me or huh. any of that I just was like it's me and the music and none of you are here right now that's that's pretty much why I never danced well really? I danced but not in front of other people okay. because I was too shy yeah yeah it's like so it's my so art weird. was always more introvert like photography or 
I was a makeup artist for a long time and it's just like more introvert. So now I'm, I'm embracing it. I, so dance has been a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I was always too shy to actually perform. Uh, I see. I see. Did you ever uh, go to dance training? So that's a funny thing that you asked because it was, uh, I was seven years old and I saw Janet Jackson's music video for Rhythm Nation. Yeah. I'm like 38. Um, and so I was like, Oh, this is what I really want to do. Like, that's it. Like I'm decided I'm going to dance uh, professionally. And then, you know, of course my cousins would say you're too fat. Um, you're too dark or whatever. And then, um, so they tried to shut me down, but then I was like, Nope, this is going to happen for sure. And then I, I didn't, pursue like active training when I was little I was again really shy because when my mom put me in um Hawaiian or ballet again I would be <laughs> I would be like my stomach hurts my head hurts and I would sit down she would she never forced me luckily to like do anything so I would right. sit there and then I also think like looking back at it I just had a a reluctance to do anything group related because I loved to, to be the star of the show and so yeah right. like again nothing has changed um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, and I used to get really bored by like Hawaiian and, and ballet cause it was so slow. And like, I really wanted to like dance like Janet Jackson and Paula Abdul. Um, so there was like that kind of difference, right? Like I had no patience to learn like, like tiny bubbles or like tondus. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just want to learn the fast, cool moves. I want to flip my hair. Um, Janet was my inspiration too. She still is. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my first things was just studying her music video and studying all the dance moves. <laughs> totally. Like, how could you not at that time? Like, even if you didn't want to dance, like, it was just the coolest like, thing. I, I want to dance like that. <laughs> yeah. To this day, I mean, like, they have like Periscope Bell's choreography, but nothing compares, like, technically and just like, I don't know, there's so much magic that came out of that era of like music videos. Um, yeah, it was all very choreographed too. Very choreographed, very very technical, which is mm -hmm. a beautiful thing too. But um, so, anyways, I was thirteen, and I was in the schoolyard um, imitating Salt and Pepper, and mm -hmm. a friend of mine came up to me and she's like, "Oh my God, you should come to my dance class. They have your first class is free, and they would love you. You would love it." And I was like, "Okay, why not? Let me go." So it was Attitudes Dance Studio on John Street in Markham, <laughs> and so I went. And I, my first eight count that I ever learned was a Macarena. Because I'd always wondered, like, how do they know how to organize the moves? How do they know when to move when? And then right. I learned it was from, from counting. And it was all in a sequence. Like, oh, okay, now I get it. And so um, that, then I learned how to, like, you know, learn choreography. And I learned really fast. It was, some, it was almost, like, natural. And they recognized that. And they were like, oh, we should put you in, in four already. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it never got there because my my mom couldn't afford it. It was, you know, like it's very expensive. It's, you know, sometimes inaccessible um for people who don't have that much disposable income and she's already paying for my braces, which was already like a huge expense. Um so I didn't I took lessons for a year and then after that I was just kind of like left to my own devices. So my training was only like a year, like my technical training. Quote unquote. Uh, so mostly you've been self-taught. Yes. Or from, I guess, from your fellow dancers and choreographers. Yeah, mostly mostly self-taught. Mostly just like hip-hop energy. <laughs> right, right. But learning how to count to eight and like learning how to choreograph and, and learn choreography was a big thing that year. Right. Yeah. And how did you transition from just 
you know, teaching yourself hobby to being a professional? Uh, that's a good question. What was your first break? So when I um, was 18, because like from that, that moment on from 13, that dance class till um, 18, I was still kind of in pursuit of it. I had this like huge um, show, like it was like the, the spring talent show in grade nine and like choreographed like five minutes of a routine and everyone went crazy. And then um, my best friend at the time, her brother took us downtown to what was then known as like Randolph, um, like just like a dance studio. It was in like just the school, but it was, they had their, their own dance studio where they taught classes to the public. So he had done that research. He had drove, driven, us, driven us downtown and we took, um, I took my first ever hip hop class. And at that time it was 97. This was, there were only two hip hop classes in the entire city taught by the same guy and a bunch of like uh, Raptors dance pack dancers used to go. And so I became like, I, you know, I was only 15. So I took maybe like one or two classes was extremely intimidated, got yelled at for wearing sneakers and needing jazz shoes and was so intimidated. Um, but just thrilled. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I'm around like Raptors dance pack dancers. Like that's insane. Um, and then when I turned 18, I started going, like religiously because you know I was older I was able, more able to like go downtown more frequently and it was for the same company but it was then owned by a gentleman named Abyss uh, who owned National Dance of Canada which it then became after Randolph because I think him and George had like a bad relationship um, so they moved to 2 Gloucester Street which is at Young and, Young and Wellesley and it was there that I learned that they had opportunities to do work study so I basically um, he needed like some painting done in the building so I painted a bunch of like walls and in, in exchange for free dance classes so I literally like I live there so I would paint and then I would take class like almost every day and I had like unlimited classes so I was there non-stop I was there as much as I could be and so the, well, that's the benefit of being multi-talented right <laughs> but you know You're like able to paint your way I mean but and like it was like kind of something that anyone could do like anyone could really like okay. use a like paint roller um, yeah. So I was there religiously to the point where I got noticed for my hip hop uh, um, and then a young professional who now is pretty famous for being on um, Little Prairie, Little Mosque on the Prairie, Tara Hewitt. She saw me. This was back when she was a go-go dancer and model. She was like, oh, you should, you should audition for Blaze. Um, they're having an audition. It was a, a dance troupe at the time that was known in the city for doing like a bunch of like kind of cool industry gigs. So they gave me the right. information. They were like, you should go. So I went, I auditioned, they loved me. I got it like right away. And it was from there that they, uh, we started doing shows. And then long story short, I went to McGill for a year. It wasn't for me, um, but I was going to go back. But that summer I was so deprived art artistically that I was like, oh, I need to dance. So I went, got back with Blaze. Um, we started doing shows. And then there were a bunch of auditions for music videos. I auditioned for my first music video with director x and i passed it he loved me and he then um started booking me for everything that he was doing like most of the projects he did that summer of 2002 um and because i was in that community i was around the other directors that were really well known at the time who were, <laughs> who were shooting these huge budget music videos that we're talking like $150,000 a day back, wow. back when the budgets were like massive for music videos um and so I was down with a lot of these projects. And then Tara and her friend at the time, Donna, who became a good friend of mine, um, 
encouraged me to start go-go dancing, which is something that I wanted to do anyways. I was like desperate to do it because I'm like, oh my God, getting paid to dance, like what? In a club? <laughs> and so then I started booking go-go gigs and that was really exciting for me because it was like my first time ever getting paid to dance. And it was something that I was dying to do, like, you know, being in a nightclub, dancing on a platform. I was like, that's all I want to do, <laughs> even if you do like, ask me to do it for free. So that's really when I started when I was like 18, but when I was 19, 1920. Okay. And so uh, the names on your biography, the Jason Derulo, Sierra, mm-hmm. Fallout Boy, were those all music videos? Um, so Jason Derulo uh, was the um, Much Music VMAs. This was 2015. Okay. Uh, when we performed um, Want to Want Me. Um, Sierra was when she was, okay, so I was living in New York. This was 2004. And I got recruited straight from dance class. So I was like, again, religiously in dance class. And a gentleman was outside. He was like, yo, you're really good. I was wondering if you would be interested in filming a commercial tomorrow. I was like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so then he gave me the information. We got the set. And it was a bunch of us, like, elite dancers. And then um, Sierra, and I was like, what? And this is when she had just come out with, like, One Two Step, I think. But this was, like, right. she was big, but she was just still starting out. She wasn't, like, six-pack right. abs or anything yet. <laughs> um, so it was really cool to see her in the beginning. She was very nice and very young, like I was. I was, like, 22 at the time. Uh, Follow Boy, again, um, that was also in New York. And that was... Such a, it was such a weird audition because I was training in house dance really, really like intensely at that time. And my mentor um, teacher told me like, oh, there's an audition, you should come. Everyone's telling me like, come to this audition. So I came <laughs> and then um, I got to meet, um, so my teacher is Ijo. Seku is his good friend from like back in the days in the same crew. Seku is a choreographer on the, um, on the project. Uh, and so I met Seku, and they're like, okay, we're, we're going to put the music on, you're just going to freestyle. I was like, okay. And it was this rock song, and I was like, I thought it was, I thought they were joking. I was like, this is a joke, right? Because I was so used to dancing to, like, house and hip-hop. So I just, like, flipped my hair around, just did my thing. They loved me. They are like, whoa, we need more, like, more people like you. I got booked right away, and so the rest was history. Like, I, no one had ever heard of Fall Out Boy. They were the newest thing on the planet, like, I was like, yeah, follow boy, whatever. Like, it's going to be a whatever video. And I did, had no idea that it was going to be, like, such a massive, massive video. Right. And who, who are some of the choreographers that you worked with at this time? And, and are there any lessons that you, you know, remember learning from them? <laughs> so um, when I did the movie Honey in 2002, I worked with Lorianne Gibson. And Lorianne was some, someone that I really admired because she was she's from Brampton, Ontario, and she made it to become an, an in living color fly girl, which is something that I oh yeah she's something it was something that I like deeply aspired to be, um, <clears throat> and so when I got to set with her, she was not super kind like she wasn't the most like warm and friendly she was kind of harsh she was kind of like a ball buster you know and like every choreographer is different there's nothing good or bad about it but she was maybe different from what I I don't know pictured in my mind a choreographer would be because like you know I would see like Tina Landon and um Paula Abdul and not to say that you know they were not ball busters because I was never in, in like a rehearsal with them ever but 
I don't know, she just seemed a little harsh and she would use words like mediocre and it was, mm. yeah, it was kind of like, discouraging. Dis- yeah, it was very disheartening um, because she was someone that I really admired for a long time, uh, particularly because she's Canadian. Um, and so anyways, so that's kind of something that I learned. And then um, Luther Brown, he'd always, you know, I, I remember rehearsing with him at um, Driftwood Community Center, which was, you know, like our humble beginnings um, when he was with Dudat. When he started Dudat, it would be at Driftwood, which is like in Rexdale on the West End. Um, and so I've known him for a very, very long time. Um, and I've never like worked super closely with him, but he was always kind of around and affiliated with like with Blaze. Um, but uh, he was very, like, also very no, no BS, um, get to, get to, you know, to work. Um, who else have I worked with? And and then there's like, you know, Darren Henson who won for, um, NSYNC's Bye Bye Bye. And, uh, he choreographed Britney Spears. Um, he choreographed for JLo and he and I are still really, really close. Um, he's also someone I really admired for a long time. Um, and I guess, you know, like, it's it's just like anything, right? Everything takes time. You need a lot of patience to do what you want to do. Um, lead with love. Like, that's, for me, like, what I've adopted as a dancer choreographer. Um, not only love of what you do, love of music, love of people. Um, and, yeah, and just work hard. I mean, that that's pretty much the common theme amongst all of the people that I've worked with is like just to work hard to focus. Um, yeah. What is, what is your advice of, you know, if dancers get on a job and the choreographer is a ball buster and you're <laughs> like, oh, how do you handle that? Well, you know, I mean, and it's all, it's always going to be different because there's the choreographers who are like super nice and super accommodating and very encouraging um, so I just like to think of like, you know, everything is temporary and, and I mean, do they soften if they see that you have a really good work ethic? Um, no, there's a, there's, I think there's a thing of like, they, I can see them not, you know, I'm going to be a badass and, and until you prove yourself to me. Well, I think it's a thing of like. A hierarchy as well right and especially if you are in the world of in the professional industry world there's such a hierarchy and there's such a line uh between um like choreographer dancer like you have to really be in your role um so as long as you just adhere to their rules adhere to their protocol you'll you'll be in a good position um and just play your part like don't try to overstep don't try to you know, go above and beyond. I mean, like, because everyone has their thing that they need to do. Everyone has their role. So as long as you right. play your role, then you'll be fine. And and take it with a grain of salt, right? Because, like, a lot of the times if someone behaves that way, it's not about you. It's really about them. So that's sure, one, yeah. one thing to recognize as well is that it's not – don't take it personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Just got to keep going. Just got to keep going. Just do your job and that's all you can really do. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) What other um, career highlights uh, from dance? And then how did you transition into painting and visual art? Did you work with uh, 
Jessica Alba closely? I did, or? yeah. So I'm I'm in the scene where it's after she attends that party with that guy and she refuses to sleep with him. And then she suddenly starts getting cut from auditions and blackballed from the industry, which I've heard happens. And I think right. I was told that the story is loosely based on Lorianne's journey. Um, okay. But anyways, I'm in the scene. It's directly after where Le Romeo steals the kid's sneakers on the subway. It's like in, in the middle of the movie. She's, okay. she's at an audition and I'm right beside her. Um, I'm a 20 year old girl with, you can see my panty line. Um, <laughs> and, um, what do you wish that you can go back and tell your younger self? Oh man, what a question. Um, okay, well, this is a big one and this is something that I overcame later on was that it's so hard not to let what your family says to you get into your heart because these are people that you like care about and you care about how they feel you care about how they perceive you and so for a long time my parents um particularly like my father and my sister um they would tell me like oh maybe you need to work at as a nurse maybe you need a job at starbucks and you know it was kind of like because they had never seen you know success of someone like me um you know as a dancer or whatever um they didn't have anything to go off they couldn't be like oh you, you you're gonna be like that person fine you're gonna be great um they all they saw was like the struggling struggling person with crazy credit card debt um yeah. you know and creditors it's a after tough road. it's a super tough road it's a tough road yeah um so i think i would tell my younger self to not listen to those voices because um well like and it's something that i learned later on not to do but um if i knew it younger then it, i think i would have taken off a lot more a lot sooner um even like and i've had success from the beginning not to say that i you know i didn't i'm um grateful for everything that i accomplished and was able to do and the support that i've received from other people outside of my family but i think those voices really they kind of hindered me, especially when I became a little bit older, when I was like 25, 26, 27, um, because it's like, oh, your childbearing years are like winding down. And so there's, there's that pressure of like, you need to pursue having a family and getting married and settling down. And so I think I let that get to me. Right. Um, and then especially when I turned 30, that was like such a game changer. It was like, okay, my eggs are officially dwindling. I need to make moves. Um, so I would just tell myself to not listen to those voices and just keep at it and go, go hard. Yeah. You have to figure out what you really want. Definitely. Not what other people want for you. Yeah. And you can't let their insecurity kind of rub off on you. Um, because if you're passionate about what you want to do and you're confident that you can do it, um, there's going to be, there's definitely going to be obstacles thrown at you. And those obstacles most likely will be from people that you love and care about. And that's an unfortunate truth. Yeah. It'll be hard yeah. not yeah, it's hard not to listen to them because you love them and you think highly of them and you know, and so hard not to think of like, oh yeah, maybe I should be a nurse sometimes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Secure paying job with benefits. Yeah. <laughs> Full time pension. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but then I think we would be bored out of our mind and not happy. Definitely. And you know, you, you you wouldn't learn the hard way, and that's that's the only way I've ever learned anything is the hard way. And I don't yeah. I don't regret it at all. You know, 
So what are you doing these days? These days, uh, a couple things. So my bread and butter is DJing. Um, fortunate enough to get booked for a lot of uh, corporate gigs and events, um, semi-private events like ticketed and that kind of thing. Like, for example, I did the ROM uh, on New Year's Eve. Um, and so I've been busy with that. And also uh, I'm still pursuing my one-woman show, Third World, which is which it pretty much encompasses all of my skills. Um, and that's where the comedy aspect of it comes in as well. So I'm uh, doing a bit of stand-up to work out bits um, that I want to incorporate in my show and as well just work on my performance quality, my execution, um, my eloquence, and just, you know, making things sharp and and direct. And then uh, I'm also continuing my training. Um, I'm learning Vogue, which is extremely hard. Um and you know continuing with whacking and and house dance and um i haven't really found an outlet for hip-hop that i really enjoyed but um i wanted to get back into hip-hop hip-hop dancing a little bit right and uh so yeah so writing grants for my show and also um uh and and then i also act as a in the escape uh, the escape games at castelloma so i have that as well to practice my jokes um and that's about it what's that what's that what's this castelloma thing oh so uh at castelloma they have escape rooms yeah and i'm an actor in them so um so these escape rooms like, not all scare escape people no <laughs> everyone thinks that but no i don't it's not scary um okay there's there's like there's a whole narrative in the game and so we kind of like work with that narrative and we we help the um the gamers kind of like we usher them towards success but in a way like in character because you know if we weren't there they'd kind of be lost and we have to kind of work around a time frame Right. So we kind of just usher them along um, so that they escape in a timely manner or they're able to like solve things in a timely manner. But That's we all cool. do it in character and I'm, I'm able to like infuse jokes and stuff like that. So it's, it's a nice little like testing ground for me and I'm getting paid. Yeah. So it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And do you still paint? No, I haven't painted in a really long time. Um, it's so time consuming, um, but it is something that I love to do. And when a good friend of mine passed away a couple of years ago, I started painting a portrait of him, which I should finish soon. But uh, no, I haven't really painted that much since maybe I like that's our, 2008. Our multi potential like coming out because uh, we have a lot of unfinished projects. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, not to say we want to do it all. No, I know, and and not to say that I will never pick up a brush again because I will, but yeah. Everything has its time. Well, I think that's what I was saying of like, you know, there's some things that you just put on hold for a while. Yeah, definitely. You can't do I it. I mean, it. you can do it all, but maybe not all at once. Yes. That is the biggest lesson that I learned. Definitely. <laughs> Trying to do everything at once, you just never get anywhere. Yeah, that's actually very true. <laughs> and I, that lesson took me a long time to learn. Mm, yeah. I <laughs> and now it's understand. like, okay. Yeah. Let's fo focus on a few what are the priorities and the rest you don't have to say goodbye to it's they're on hold yes do you teach as well uh i have taught i've taught for many years and yeah so it's been maybe like one or two years now that i've stopped teaching but uh not to say that i, I won't do it in the future because i do need to keep up with my own training and i feel like my own training is enhanced whenever i do teach so 
hopefully in the future. I'm going to Vancouver in April, so I'm thinking of starting something then in Vancouver. Uh, moving there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> have, you, have you lived there before? I've never lived on the West Coast, no. It's going to be interesting. What's the draw to Vancouver? Um, so I've, like, I got renovated in October. And so I've been kind of like transient since then. I right now I'm living downtown near near where I used to live. Um, but I learned after I moved here that it was only temporary, um, which is fine. But it ha- it happened to be that a friend of mine in Vancouver offered me a place for like really affordable rent. So I was like, I'm gonna take that. So, and a lot yeah. of my good friends are there, and you know, there's a lot of things that I could do and explore. So I thought, why not? Cool. Try something different. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Just different environment, different change of pace. Different people. Different people. Yeah. <laughs> Mountains, hiking, beach, something, oh, <laughs> stuff that we don't have. <laughs> we do not have that stuff here. I grew up in Vancouver and I came here and I'm like, I still love Toronto. I would never want to go back, but I think it depends on what you want to, what you like doing. If you like doing totally the hiking and stuff, then yes, it's beautiful. So you mentioned, uh, writing grants do you have any advice Mm -hmm. on that because that's a struggle for a lot of artists is getting funding for what their creative talents are i know it really is um so i've been really really successful with grants i've gotten grants from the toronto arts council canada council for the arts ontario arts council um as well as other micro grants like the uh, theater creators reserve um and i've also gotten grants with organizations like manifesto festival so I have a lot of experience writing and um, receiving grants. Right. Um, however, I still get rejected. Uh, all of last year I got rejected. And I recently had a meeting with a, a good friend of mine who is a um, very, pretty established producer in the city. Um, and she gave me a lot of advice around specifics. So I think I would say the first thing is that I feel like everyone needs to only consider a grant when they have an idea. Because a lot of the times people start writing grants just because they feel like they have to or like it, it's going to legitimize them or give them money. Right. But um, your grant will only really be valid if it's an idea that's coming from your art and that's real, right? And so I feel like when you have an idea and that's burning inside of you that you have to, you have to get it out, that's the only time that you should invest the time and energy to writing a grant and getting money for it. Right. Because if you write a grant, the details worked out. Right. And you have an idea, you have a vision, you have people that you want to work with, um, you know where your money is going to go if you do get it, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, if you write a grant just to write a grant, it's going to come off as that, right? It's going to come off as like, oh, this person just wants the money. Right. and so they'll know right away because they're looking through the jury I'm referring to. They'll look through maybe like one or 200. And so you're competing with one or 200 other people. And if your voice doesn't come across as passionate or um, strong in terms of your vision, then it's going to translate on the page and they're just going to reject it. So it would be a waste of your time in that sense. Right. I find artists sometimes apply for grants and, and funding in a way that, well, if they don't get the funding, they're not going to do it. Whereas I think you have to kind of, you're doing this, <laughs> you know, whether you get the funding or not, this is what we're doing. And 
maybe if I get the funding, maybe it'll, you know, I don't know. How do, how do you think that works? Like, how do you kind of say that, okay, I'm so passionate, I'm doing this either way. But how do you kind of say you still need the money, but if you don't get the money, you'll still do something, you know? It's tricky. It's very tricky. So it's funny because that came up as well in my conversation. Um, you definitely have to express that you are in need because if there was no need, why would you be there? And why would you ask for the money? Right. Um, however, um, of course, your passion and your commitment to the project also has to come across. Um, but ultimately, the grant is the purpose, right? Is, is the grant, you want that money. Um, so you have, to, you have to make it seem as though your project depends on them. <laughs> and if it's, if you, like, if this beautiful project won't get made unless you give me the money to make it. Right. Um, so yeah, you have to make them excited enough, the jury, you have to make them excited enough to be like, we're going to give you the money because we want to see this to completion. Right. Um, so you have to kind of express that there is a need and that the need can only be fulfilled with their help. And, and ultimately, a grant is there for you to pay yourself as an artist and also for you to pay your team, right? Because they look at that more than anything. Because, you know, you can pay for a venue to rent out or you can pay for a tech person, but they really want to see that you're paying your community and that your community is also very competent and has a, a really good track record as well. Right. It's a level of professionalism and support. It That's kind of what they're doing is supporting the arts and making sure that the artists get to make a living. Well, that's, that's exactly right. And also it's, you kind of have to think of it as like, it's a business proposal as an artist, right? Cause you're, your project will reflect them because everything that you put out for your project, you need to um, include their logo, right? So in a sense, they kind of own your right. project. And if they own your project, it has to speak for their values and their mandate as well. Um, so it's kind of like a partnership and a, and a collaboration because there's a sense of that um, they're funding your project. So it kind of belongs to them. It, it definitely belongs right. to you, but you know, they, if they gave you the money for it, then it's definitely, they're a big part of it. So what is, what is your why? Oh man. Why do you do that? <laughs> that comes up a lot in like podcasts that I listen to. Um, oh, really? yeah. <laughs> uh, another excellent question. Um, and it all comes down to four letters, L O V E. And, and this is what I say to everyone. And this is what, you know, I continue to hear from people who are considered greats like Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. Um, but, you know, he, he worked so hard because he loved basketball. Like there was no other reason other than the fact that he was really curious about it and he loved it. And so, um, I mean, I don't just attribute what I do because of what he said, but I, when I heard, listened to a podcast and heard him say that, it reinforced the fact that my why is definitely also because I love what I do and I love the arts. I always have. Um, I've tried doing other things. I've tried, you know, working in offices and, um, you know, having a like quote unquote stable life and doing the whole nine to five thing. It's not for me. Um, and so knowing myself and knowing who I am, knowing that I'm a thousand percent an artist um, and accepting that about myself has been such a game changer and not only has brought relief. Um, to myself and my, you know, kind of like psyche, but 
you know, for other people also, you know, for them to accept the fact that like they will never try to convert you to becoming an accountant or accounts receivable personnel or whatever person who works in an office. Um, So yeah, it all comes down to my love for people, music, and just the arts really. Yeah, it's kind of like you can't not do it. Yeah, that's pretty much how I live my life. It's like I'm an artist. That's the why. <laughs> and yeah. and the society needs artists. Like, what else are like? Who's gonna play the music when you go to a party? Yeah, you know, like there, that. There needs to be that person there, and and so you know, I kind of like think of myself in that way in terms of the ecology of the world. It's like I'm I'm needed because you know, who else is going to entertain you? <laughs> and yeah, like, for sure. What would we do without it? Yeah. Artists are very necessary to this world. And Amazing. yeah. And even when I wasn't working as an artist, like say like a DJ, I was working in, I was still working in nightlife as a um, bartender, um, hostess, server. So I was always kind of like in hospitality. And so that's also a part of it too. It's like, we need, we need someone to bring us our beer. yeah that's very important you know (laughs) and and you need a job to pay your rent pretty much your art doesn't necessarily do it all the time definitely I remember being in New York selling jello shots as like the last 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 resort (laughs) yeah and I made pretty good money um it wasn't the the best job by a far stretch but um but I did well doing that and I remember that gave me a lot in terms of learning how to sell things Oh yeah, yeah. Because three dollars for a tiny Jello shot—that's a lot of money. But I was able to sell out every single week. Um, so, and it was because of like that I learned how to use language. So instead of saying, "Do you want to buy a Jello shot?" I would say, "You should buy Jello shots." And right away, right. they would open their wallets. <laughs> so yeah, language has everything to do with everything. <laughs> Strong language. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're going, that gives you confidence when you're going for a job. It's like, uh, you need to hire me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm the person. I'm the one you need. Right. Instead of like, instead, instead of, of like, will you? Yeah, yes. Because then they're going to be like, no, bye. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just like think, think of like someone saying that to you on the street. Like, do you want to buy a thing? And you're like, oh. <laughs> the auto no answer. Right. But you, before, yeah. Before you even think about it. No. Exactly. Right. And then, yes. The person wants something from me. No. Exactly. So yeah, suggestive suggestive language is always helpful. Like you should or hey, you know, like yeah. <laughs> the word should <laughs> is such a game changer. Even when I was like touring with a friend of mine who's a musician and she was trying to sell CDs right after the show, I'd be like, Hey, you guys should buy a CD and everyone would buy a CD. As to, as opposed to like, cool. Do you wanna buy a CD? Yeah. <laughs> that's good just changing a couple words just change a word that's it yeah, yeah. make a sale <laughs> <laughs> where can people find you online uh i'm all over the internet um at fly lady die f-l-y-l-a-d-y-d-i that's on uh, instagram and twitter you can look at my facebook fan page which is facebook.com slash fly lady die page and also my website, flyladydie.com, um, where you can find my email on the bottom, flyladydie.info at gmail.com. I've definitely been called Lady Die a lot. Too. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, yeah, Lady Die was my childhood nickname. So then I just kind of made it hip hop and added fly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. 
Any final words of wisdom? Uh, work hard, focus, remember your why, which could be different from mine, um, but always lead with love. Love yourself, be good to yourself, uh, take your time. That's one thing that my teacher has taught me. And to this day, he's turning 50 this year. He can outdance anyone on the planet. And I, you know, don't put it past him. Ejo Wilson, look him up on YouTube. He can outdance any young kid, um, half his age. Uh, take your time. And it's something that I'm still learning how to do. It's probably the hardest thing to learn how to do, but um, it's excellent advice because you could apply it in so many different ways. Um, and um, yeah. sleep, get your eight to 10 hours. <laughs> so eight I. I average about six. Well, I, I subscribe to uh, Train Podcast, which is by Nike, and I've been listening on Spotify. And it talks about like elite athletes, right? This is uh, a gentleman named Ryan Flaherty, and he trains Serena Williams. He's worked with so many elite athletes in the world. And he cannot stress enough with every episode how important sleep is. And for dancers especially, because our work is so physical, we need to repair our bodies and our bodies need to recover from whatever stress we put on it. So that's a huge part that people disregard, especially young people, because, you know, they're able to bounce, bounce back from like, I don't know, five, six hours. Um, but down the road, it will have repercussions. So take your time and get your sleep. It's so important. And eat properly. <laughs> I, should learn, I should learn that. I know I'm like, well, I have the, this cake in front of me. <laughs> Sometimes we got to take our own advice. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. Yes. <laughs> you also got to treat yourself. Definitely. Well, you know, once in a while is fine. Moderation. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers.